I'm a Muslim woman. Modesty is my choice, my freedom. I have my own mind. I have my own voice. I invite you to listen and to look beyond. I'm I'm a a Muslim Muslim woman. Throughout history, mankind has always yearned to know the true essence of beauty. Some have sought beauty in the sights and smells of this world, others in the human form, and more still in the bounties of nature, in orchards, meadows and streams. However, the highest form of beauty is to be found only in the divine being who is manifest in every atom of this universe and whose love gives life its sweetness and freshness. In a world of fashion icons, Mary is an example for Muslim women precisely because of her devotion to the divine. And of course, one of the most iconic features of Mary's image was her veil. Across many faith traditions, the veil is a symbol of devotion. It is worn during prayer, symbolizing the idea of taking yourself away from the gaze of the world and turning to your creator. English poet William Wordsworth wrote, that true beauty dwells in deep retreats, whose veil is unremoved. It is this brand of beauty, the truest and purest kind, that we seek. Living in today's society, there are many misconceptions surrounding the hijab. A lot of questions arise in people's minds. Does the hijab oppress women? Does it hold them back from achieving their dreams? To me, nothing could be further from the truth. The hijab has given me true freedom and it has given me a sense of identity. Far from being an inhibition, it has only ever enriched my life. We live in a world today where the female form has lost all its sanctity and is objectified only to serve the male gaze. However, Islam teaches that women are not objects, but beings made to live out the fullness of life, the spiritual and intellectual equals of men, made not to bow to the dictates of fashion, but to serve only the divine. I'm a student of Arabic and Persian at the University of Cambridge, and I'm enabled to live, learn and flourish here while wearing my hijab and holding on to my identity. Having lived in both the Middle East and Europe, I have lived and studied in both East and West while wearing the hijab. Islam lays great emphasis on the education of women, and today, members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Women's Association pursue their studies at the highest level. We read, write and think without inhibition. I am part of a team of women's writers from the community who take part in the National Dialogue on Islam. I enjoy writing blogs and articles and I'm also part of an all-women's radio team who research, produce and present hour-long discussion programs on a variety of topics with a focus on the role of faith in modern life. In March 2017, a group of Ahmadi Muslim women participated in a solidarity vigil arranged by a women's organization after the attacks in Westminster Bridge. In taking part in the vigil, I stood with my fellow demonstrators against extremism and for peace. Ahmadi Muslim women today follow many different paths of life. However, wherever in the world we may be, in the East or in the West, one thing is for sure. Our hijab is our identity. The Conditions of Initiation, Bed, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The initiate shall solemnly promise, one, that he or she shall abstain from shirk, association of any partner with God, right up to the day of his or her death. Two, that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, 
fornication, adultery, trespasses of the eye, debauchery, dissipation, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion, and will not permit himself or herself to be carried away by passions, however strong they might be. 3. That he or she shall regularly offer the five daily prayers in accordance with the commandments of God and the Holy Prophet and shall try his or her best to be regular in offering the tahajjud and invoking the rood on the Holy Prophet that he or she shall make it his or her daily routine to ask forgiveness for their sins, to remember the bounties of God and to praise and glorify Him. 4. That under the impulse of any passions, he or she shall cause no harm whatsoever to the creatures of Allah in general and Muslims in particular, neither by his or her tongue, nor by his or her hands, nor by any other means. 5. That he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and happiness, adversity and prosperity, in felicity and trial, and shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of Allah and keep himself or herself ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way, and shall never turn away from it at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. 6. That he or she shall refrain from following un-Islamic customs and lustful inclinations and shall completely submit himself or herself to the authority of the Holy Quran and shall make the word of God and the sayings of the Holy Prophet the guiding principle in every walk of his or her life. 7. That he or she shall entirely give up pride and vanity and shall pass all his or her life in humbleness, cheerfulness, forbearance, and meekness. 8. That he or she shall hold faith, the honor of faith, and the cause of Islam dearer to him or her than his or her life, wealth, honor, children, and all other dear ones. 9. That he or she shall keep himself or herself occupied in the service of God's creatures for his sake only and shall endeavor to benefit mankind to the best of his or her God-given abilities and powers. 10. That he or she shall enter into a bond of brotherhood with this humble servant of God, pledging obedience to me in everything good for the sake of Allah and remain faithful to it till the day of his or her death, that he or she shall exert such a high devotion in the observance of this bond as is not to be found in any other worldly relationship and connections demanding devoted dutifulness. Good morning and welcome to Saturday Morning Live. It is the 12th of August and you're joined here at 10.09 by myself, Shazza Lone, and my co-presenters in the studio today, Hamza Vanderman and Saf Amadi. Good morning, gents. How are you doing? Morning, everyone. Very well. Very well. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And a very, very pleasant morning, I would say. 
It's nice that it's not raining for a change. It is, yeah. Yes, nice. Got the sunglasses out. It's nice. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, summer is, well, people are always saying it's already at an end from what we saw last week, but hopefully we've got an Indian summer still to come. Uh, but the most important thing is the Premiership is back. <laughs> is that all you were worried about? That's, that's entertainment, <laughs> my friend. And it's yeah. as if nothing's changed. Is it? Oh, straight back into it. Three minutes. Three minutes. Harland, Harland, what to, Harland, what to do on a Saturday or on a Sunday. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, uh, um, but yeah, no. aside from that, um, I'm sure um, our listeners are all uh, glued into our show this morning and waiting to see. Uh, our main topic today, we'll be discussing a little bit about the environment and ULES. There'll be our usual news roundup, and there'll also be a uh, premiership um, uh, prediction show, which we will hold to. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that. But this is a live show, and you can join us at any uh, juncture you wish. You can call us at 0208 687 7878. That's 0208 687 7878. So if you feel the need to uh, agree, disagree, add to the conversation, feel free to call us. Or you can via our Twitter handle at Voice of Islam UK or the website, which is www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, Hamza, start us off with our news roundup. Um, what's been going on? Absolutely. So the big story, which is uh, carried on most of the front pages of today's newspapers, is that um, asylum seekers have been taken off uh, the Bobby Stockholm barge due to a discovery of Legionella bacteria in the water supply. Um, mm. So obviously that's quite dangerous. It's the bacteria that causes Legionnaire's disease. Um, and uh, so one of the government's flagship policies um, in terms of how they were seeking to deal with asylum seekers, process asylum seekers, where to house them, uh, it's obviously been a huge issue. And one of the uh, potential solutions the government had put forward was to make use of these huge barges uh, off uh, off the um, uh, off the country, house asylum seekers there while things are processed, and then to bring them uh, to England uh, once that was done. Or if uh, rejected, they can then go somewhere else, and therefore they're kind of closed within this system. Uh, there'd obviously been lots of criticism about housing so many people on a on mm. a boat on a barge. Uh, already due to various other issues and so this uh, problem around the discovery of Legionnaires uh, bacteria uh, on the boat um, obviously is very difficult for the government to deal with and um, shows some of the troubles the continued trouble um, that we're having with uh, the um, with dealing with asylum seekers and handling their handling their cases yeah obviously it seems to be an ongoing issue right in in terms of the way um you know, from a PR perspective and, and the way generally our policy is towards asylum seeking. I know, uh, I think we've talked on it um, in previous shows, but um, both my parents who are interpreters by trade uh, do end up going to Ramsgate quite regularly where there are boatloads of people coming in to the country, you know. And, you know, it's not like um, this problem is kind of going away or it's calming down. You know, the UK still is very much a um, desired destination for people to come to to make a new life and uh yeah it's not but, i mean not i think problem. i mean i think if you look at the asylum figures and if you look at sort of the figures of people coming over i mean the uk is still actually quite far behind well it's not far behind but i mean it's it's <clears throat> actually we take a smaller share of asylum seekers than uh, some of our european uh, neighbors mm. so i think i mean this has become a bit of a culture war um it's one of those uh, it's one of those topics that i think um 
definitely politicians have figured out that it's it's quite uh, you know it's one of those topics that they can sort of draw to um, to draw uh, draw in um, yeah, you know votes, votes. they mm. can they can essentially it's some it's a talking point which which gathers a lot of which gathers a lot of um, uh, you know it just has a it has a knack of being able to be quite divisive mm. and which is I think what they're trying to sort of accomplish and they keep on doing it. and you see these you know you sort of saw it in the Rwanda policy now you see it in the barge and I think it get, gets a lot of media time and a lot of attention when actually there is a quick I mean I think one of the quick fixes of this is just to just to uh, you know if the home office was a little bit more efficient in dealing with asylum cases we wouldn't have half of these issues um, but we do um, I think the barge itself. I actually, I'm, I'm not, I'm not actually against the idea of having a barge. I, 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 you know, if you're still going to be housing and feeding and supplying food to people, that's that's one thing. But they, they've made it into a very divisive issue, and I think they like the optics of being um, of making life difficult for asylum seekers, which I think is. Which I think, for me, is problematic. Yeah, it's a vote winner, isn't it? It's, it is. Um, yeah. You know, people. Um, um, as Shazel said, the boat's still coming in. It seems to be a big issue, big problem for the Conservative Party in particular, having pledged to resolve this issue, stop this issue, as if something. But I like think, this by the same token, they like to keep raising, stoke it up. You know, like I don't think it's, I don't think it's something that they almost, to a point, the fact that it's not getting resolved almost works in their favour. Yeah, because they can they can take a strong position Correct. at least and get people excited. And you're right, the barge is an example of that, um, housing people off, uh, off off the country. But I guess, as you say, people go on nice cruises and stuff. It all <laughs> yeah. depends on the actual conditions <laughs> yeah. on yeah. on board. If the conditions are clean, healthy, Absolutely. you know, then it shouldn't really be uh, the fact that it's a boat in itself is it's not kind the of issue. Me- is, me- yeah. is meaningless yeah. it's yeah. the conditions yeah. on that on that boat if the boat is not fit for purpose which obviously this boat clearly isn't mm. um and then the problem becomes well you know how what, how why did this take so long to identify and yeah. uh, and did it take that long actually so there's some voices saying actually the um home office and the contractors have done not a bad job in terms of identifying it early mm. nobody's actually been uh, none of the uh, inhabitants have been found none of the asylum seekers have been found to have had the disease or caught the disease so actually there is an argument to be said that you know sometimes these things can happen yeah unfortunately I mean, sadly can... <clears throat> but as how you deal with it and how you identify it and how you clean it up and well this is precisely the point the, i think you know if you look at australia australia have a uh, have been housing people on the island of papua new guinea um mm. you know like sort of a Essentially, all asylum seekers that come um, get housed in, uh, essentially, and, it, and there have been squalid conditions over there. Mm. Um, we used to live in, you know, when I was in Switzerland, there was always known that there was a particular um, small village that was housing all asylum seekers, you know, in, in, in gated, what they called gated communities, which was essentially a prison, mm. really. Um, and they were also living in squalid conditions, and it was done on purpose to uh, to essentially... Uh, try and uh, try and put off. people off yeah. from from trying to make that uh, move. So, yeah. I don't think this is anything new. I think that the optics of it are very very important um, uh, to all politicians. I, I think I think this has become a political issue. I think that there is an easy fix. All you have to do is ensure that asylum uh, asylum applications are are processed a little bit more quickly. That's it. Um, but now it's almost uh, it, it's got to that stage where 
we're, we're using it as a tool. Um, and I, I, I do really do feel this. I think at the moment the conservatives are using it and it may be one of the last sort of tools that they have uh, to garner some support yeah. um, because they, they, they don't look like they're very, doing very well in the polls. Yeah, they haven't been done, doing well for a while and there aren't many issues where they're going to um, score strongly on, you know, yeah. in terms of if you, if you look at uh, crime, the economy, uh, the NHS, um, you know, these are all going to be very, very tough issues for them to talk on. Exactly. Whereas the handling immigration, you'd have thought, is one of their strong points. The only problem is the record is so bad. Yeah. You know, but that's, you know, as we say, that's a problem with all the things at the moment is the record and the history is so bad. that, And that's why the polls are so difficult is that for them because people are feeling it. It's not even something that you can read about and talk about. You you can just, you know, you can feel it. Mm. You can see prices in the supermarkets and, you know, um, uh, costs just generally going up. And there's that's always going to land at the door of the government. Yeah, look, they're on hiding to nothing, I think, in this election, whatever happens. I don't think you can turn it around. I mean, November 2024 is most likely when the election is likely to be. I don't think the Conservatives, having gone through this cost of living crisis with interest rates at such high rates, and the fact that Rishi Sunak essentially is not a um, prime minister to be elected by the general public. He was elected by his party, essentially. And whether the general population is ready to vote for someone like that, in particular, of Asian background, that's number one. But just, I think the main issue is just how badly the Conservative Party, essentially, in the view of, of I think, the, mm. the general public, is how they handled COVID, how Boris Johnson's exit was, and what we've been left with in terms of... Um, you know, uh, what Rishi's, well, the mess he's tried to clean up. It's not going to be an easy thing to, to kind of sort out. Yeah, and look, he's not a kind of natural campaigner as well, char- mm. big, char- big character campaigner around the country. Mm. He's very much more a kind of, uh, um, uh, an administrator, someone who gets things done, and, you know, yeah. a year just isn't going to be enough. And also the, from the position that he started in, very, very difficult to make the uh, yeah. changes necessary. Um, but at the same point, I, I think Keir Starmer doesn't even have to go around the country. I think he's going to get elected whatever happens. I mean, unless he actually drops the ball and says something very ridiculous. I mean, mm. I, I presume he's not going to have to do literally anything to get into office. Well, I think, so. yeah, it's a, I think the concept now is, you know, almost stay quiet yeah. and just wait just wait for the and just wait for the day. And I, I think that's what they're almost doing at the moment. Mm. They're not really coming out with any big policy suggestions either, to be perfectly frank. Mm. But uh, but I mean, unfortunately, I mean, we're talking about obviously this, the refugee crisis. Even the news this morning is that uh, there was another um, small boat uh, within the English Channel which uh, capsized and one person's died and five others said to be in serious condition. Mm. So that was launched this morning. Uh, lifeboat crew went out at four in the morning and there were stretches apparently at Dover. So obviously this is still an ongoing issue and that's something that you know needs to be looked at from a humanitarian perspective that why are people so desperately risking their lives just to get into countries? Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Saf, what have you been looking at in terms of news roundup? Um, I think one of the things I, I think sort of that keeps on creeping up and especially around the summer months is um, Hawaii now um, has a load of uh, <coughs> fresh uh, fresh fires, um, big strong wildfires that are going through. You've already seen a death toll um, at 80, they believe, a lot more. We saw the fires um, in, um, in, in the Greek islands earlier on this year, uh, sorry, earlier on in summer, um, you know, across Europe. Um, and it seems to have, uh, uh, you know, it, it seems to now be in Hawaii. They don't know how, what started it, but um, again, because of the dry weather, because of unseasonal, um, uh, incredibly sort of uh, um, dry dry conditions and hurricane winds, 
Um, uh, you know, they, they've, uh, firefighters are struggling to sort of keep it intact. Um, and uh, there's parts of Maui, which is the, one of the main islands. Um, mm. it's, uh, it, it's now... It's now becoming more and more difficult. People, you know, you're also sort of getting after effects of things like looting and uh, what have you going on. And authorities are struggling to sort of deal with uh, the uh, the situation. I think, again, for me, just sort of brings uh, to the fore um, the the potential the potential effects of uh, um, global warming. Um, I think we'll probably be talking about ULES later on um, as a as a way of fixing that, but. Um, it, it is sort of showing that the world is slowly sort of going through um, more serious weather conditions and weather patterns, which are which are becoming more and more difficult to to control. Um, you know, just touching upon the subject that we were talking about before about refugees and people moving. People, you know, the, 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 we're also sort of seeing a lot more people having to move because of um, uh, changes in weather patterns. You know, like for example, you're seeing parts of Africa that are going through severe um, drought because unseasonal um, weather conditions make it impossible for crops to grow, for, uh, to feed livestock. Um, so th- this is something that I think we, we need to be sort of prepared for. We're, we're going to start re- reading and hearing a lot more about these kind of events. Yeah, it's, a, it's sadly something that you know we're becoming quite used to now, aren't we? Mm. Um, we've had the wildfires in other parts of the world before yeah. uh, recently droughts yep. uh causing causing problems and as you say you know these things don't just affect the people well they affect the people uh, directly, there directly yeah. obviously uh immensely um and we pray for those people but also the mm. indirect um consequences you know are significant for the rest of the world for yeah. the rest of the world are, are are significant whether that be um ecosystems bio bio uh, environmental stuff or whether it just be, as you say, then the human impact of that mm. uh, in terms of displacement of populations, people needing to move um, around the around the world, and also then the impact on crops and food and yep. and what that does to supply chains and food prices, and then you see it in in supermarket costs yeah. uh, everywhere around the world. So, you know, we'll talk about it with <coughs> with with uh, with the ULES, um debate that's right that's going on at the moment. How it's so difficult on one hand to have these um, feelings and concerns, but mm. then when policies are enacted mm. uh, in your own back in your own backyard that affect you directly, yeah. Um, as we've seen with you, it's very very difficult to actually uh, get support for that. Absolutely, and lots of people, the majority of people, very angry about that about about that policy. Mm-hmm. Um, even though what it's supposed to try and do is to Try and tackle, to tackle these kind of issues, these types of issues. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, I mean, you know, if you're also reading, you know, when when you talk about crops at the moment, and uh, a lot of those, a lot of those countries, sort of around, you know, places like Central Africa, Central Asia, um, they are struggling because of weather changes. Are struggling with um, with crops. With um, uh, again, change of weather patterns has meant that um, wheat production has mm. uh, has come down. We know that, for example, places like Ukraine and Russia are actually big uh, wheat producers, and because of the war there, um, you, you know that that that's also come to. A, I was I was very surprised to learn that a lot of the Middle East, for example, you know, twenty five percent of their of their wheat actually comes from um, from Ukraine, 
Now, what we're sort of seeing across the board again is not just having the weather impact, you're having sort of human impact um, and driving prices higher. So this is this is sort of there's, there's such a big knock on effect um, uh, to 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 a change in, uh, you know, like to the change of weather that we're seeing and mm. to the extremities that it's going because it's happening very quickly. Um, and whether we can, um, I mean, humans are very good at adapting, right? But the, the, the issue becomes is that if that if the change becomes too quick, are we able to adapt quickly enough? Um, and we see all of these problems that w- we get at the moment. I mean, we're, you know, I think one of the points about, um, you know, the refugee crisis, I think one of the more depressing things for me is that how easily it's been used and stoked people's, um, uh, you know, people's emotions um, and how easily people have been drawn into it being an anti thing that people are coming i'm actually i'm actually very much for people moving around the world i i you know like i the, the idea that people move from one uh, area to another uh, to try and better their lives um is i think it's i think it's a wonderful part of humanity um having said that understandably you have to control it to a certain degree you have to think but i think the way that we the way that certain countries and we're not the only ones right we this is sort of happens it's it's a global thing where you start seeing a lot of people moving into your area. Um, it, it becomes uh, it, it becomes a very easy item to sort of draw people's uh, uh, views, very strong views, uh, against and and for. Yeah, I think obviously we'll see obviously how that pans out um, going forward. But um, but yeah, what do you guys make of um, the other side of the pond, Trump? Oh being pulled up in front of the federal <laughs> judge and what have you is this just a uh, you know a ploy to make sure that he's not you know a candidate for the next election I, I, I doesn't think, seem to be hindering yeah, him, does it i was it? just going to say i think the circus is back in town i think that's yeah. what you know that the 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 yeah you're absolutely i don't think it's hindering i think i think the story his numbers look no good at the moment yeah he needs to be in the story i think he needs to be the news if he, if he's the news then um, mm. he has more of a chance of getting in because it's very obvious that in the US there is a very you you know you either love him or hate him there's no middle ground there yeah. Um, yeah. and the people that are for him are going to carry on being for him the people that are against him are going to carry on being against him but what the what you will do is you'll garner the support for him <laughs> if he's in the news you know if you know you you'll think that it's all a uh, an establish- establishment yeah. uh, establishment stitch up mm. you know it's uh, that they they can carry on selling that story i think it's it's it's, it's really difficult though isn't it because if the authorities do believe he's done illegal activity yeah. they have yeah. to go after him right yeah. uh, but at the same time as they do that they probably know they're helping him yeah, he must sit there in the room and say, "What do we do? Do we 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 know he's guilty of these effects, or we think we've got evidence yeah. uh, that shows that he's guilty of this stuff? Mm. We need to try and prosecute him." Mm. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, you sit there going, "It's only going to help his exactly. help his cause," but exactly. you know, the authorities have to just follow the evidence, don't they? That's yeah. the reality. They have to follow the evidence, uh, and so if they have evidence that says that they need to put him to trial, need to try to prosecute him yeah they've got to do that mm. but it, i think he's loving it no he's loving it. I'm, i actually was talking to a few of my friends from uh, from america i mean they're texans they're real republicans but they actually dislike trump you know they're, they're not they're not sort of trump supporters and uh, you know it, there, there was a while back that he was actually indicted in new york by uh, by one of the democrat 
sent it as their uh, over some tax charges, and they were right, yeah. they were actually very small. It was it was a very small thing. They were actually angry at the time. They said, "Why are they going him? Why are they going after him over mm, some, these small yeah, items? Yeah, because actually, yeah. it was giving him a lot of airtime. Yeah, you know, and they actually they they understand the politics of it. They understand the sort of visuals of it. If you keep on getting him in, and if it's small charges, it's easy for him to talk about like yeah. them being trumped up charges, you know, <laughs> in inverted commas. But um, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, these charges look a little bit bigger, but th- there's going to be a flurry of them coming in now. So and I, these uh, ones are big. There's no doubt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're talking about conspiring to overturn the result of the 2020 election and then the storming yeah. of Capitol Hill, um, but know, again, it feeds in, right? Because yeah, because half of them believe that that wasn't, uh, you know, like that they were in yeah. their rights to do yeah, so to raise and arms and to what raise have arms. It's an American thing, exactly. right? It's part of the Constitution. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the judge in the in the uh, in, in sitting in, in on the hearing in DC uh, said that he's a criminal defendant. And he's going to have restrictions like every single other defendant. She said, and the fact that the defendant is engaged in a political campaign is not going to allow him any greater or lesser latitude than any defendant in a criminal case. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's just whether do you give him airtime, and you know, you'll probably see his name popping up more on you know your sort of Bloomberg notifications than Biden will. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, yeah. and Biden has just seemingly, yeah, he's made a bit of a hash of things. He just, the only th- issue he seems to hang his hat on is uh, relations with China, yeah. which now and again he'll take a pot shot and, and make it looks like he's being protectionist of America. But then at but the same time you need semiconductors. It's remarkable though, isn't it? Because that is, that's Trump policy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. That was that was Trump. Uh, Trump 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 changed the game on China policy, didn't he? Yeah. And, and it's just a continuation. Absolutely. And if you look at a lot of Biden's foreign policy, I mean, it it sort it does follow. Um, in actual fact, I would actually say Trump, to a slight degree, because he wanted to be sort of seen as, you know, the the, the healer of the world, was actually. Um, I think presented himself in a different way in you know in the foreign world he, he he at least wanted to be sort of seen as some you know bringing people together I think Biden has been very quiet on foreign uh, on the foreign front as in you know you you don't see that much um yeah, movement on negotiation the front, yeah, yeah, yeah happening with much people but yes it, absolutely I agree I think every now and then um he'll suddenly sort of make some sort of policy against China and it seems to be China is their main yeah. uh, is, is the main enemy mm. uh, and the go-to guys I think Russia Russia I think has pretty much said it's stall out they know where they stand with their I think Russia was always previously the the, the kind of country that was uh, the, the, the easy the easy target to sort mm. of put um, um, to do that with but now China but China is a very strong economy of, of its own I, I think I yeah. think this is a, for me personally, I think it's a problematic uh, relationship. Yeah. I, I think the way that it's going at the moment is not is not particularly good um, for 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 anyone in the world. Yeah, obviously, I think semiconductors become a big thing, especially with electric vehicles coming forward now as well. So, how that sits in terms of Taiwan and those sort of countries, mm. it seems to be you know that's a sort of uh, sort of battleground where mm. a lot of sort of faux wars are being fought. Yeah, uh, that's that's how it seems. Um, and it is, and you're and you're right. I think I mean it is a it's it's a kind of proxy uh, at the mm. moment that they're using uh, this whole semiconductor issue. Um, I mean, I got a, I had a, I had a recently a, a very uh, long um, lecture about the different sizes, the two nanometer, three nanometer, and actually China can only have the nine nanometer. <laughs> but it was all very interesting in the sense that actually what China create themselves, they can actually. Um, uh, th- they have the capabilities of continuing, um, uh, you know, advancing their technologies, even though they don't have access to certain 
certain software or sorry certain hardware which uh, the the US uh, are producing but it has become this kind of visceral issue um, between the two and this big short shortage in the world now of semiconductors as we become a lot more technologically advanced um, is is um, I think is a difficult move I, I I'm I'm not entirely sure where we end up, um, and I hope, I, I really do, you know, one hopes and prays that this doesn't get to the point where it actually becomes a physical physical war mm. rather than mm. a theoretical war at the moment. Yeah, I don't think it'll go to that level, but I think it's just uh, these are the battlegrounds that these sort of things are yeah. being fought on, and it gets you airtime, etc. It shows you're engaging, I guess, but yeah, we'll see how things pan out on that front. Uh, what's happening on the domestic front, Hamza? Quite an interesting story uh, this week, I think, on um, Theresa Villiers, who was an ex-environmental uh, minister in DEFRA, which is the Department for Food and Rural Affairs. Um, and it came up this week that she had failed to declare um, uh, shares and shell that she owned. Um, and, uh, you know, while that's interesting to some extent, I think the, the, the rationale for why she didn't declare... Um, was, I think, uh, quite legitimate, which was that she had a professionally managed portfolio. Um, she had raised it with the department and asked whether they wanted it to be moved into a blind trust, i.e. a trust where she didn't even know you know, what um, companies were invested in. And she was told because it was professionally managed and she therefore had no input into wh- which companies were invested to and which ones were not, um, that she didn't need to do that. Uh, having said that, at the time, she was under the uh, threshold, the value threshold at which she needed to declare. Um, and then even at, at the point at which the value goes over that threshold, you do need, uh, as an MP, you do need to declare it. What I found amazing was that that threshold is £70,000. It's quite a high <laughs> threshold, isn't it? I mean, I think if I buy, if I have any shares of any value... Uh, in a in a company that um, in a company that my company works for, not necessarily even one that I advise, but that our company works for, I have they they have to know about it. Yeah, you have to declare. I mean, I think most of and that's whether it's professionally managed or not. Yeah, even a re- regulatory framework, for example. I mean, I would I have to constantly sort of send in any yeah. share holdings I have or anything like that, just purely because. Um, it needs to be known what I'm doing as opposed to what I'd be doing for a client. Exactly. So, in a similar sort of thing. And, and, and she's going to do policies that are going to affect, affect various companies. And I just find it amazing that, you know, the rules are that the threshold is £70,000. It's an amazing threshold, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, people do very well in life, you know. <laughs> they, they can. They, I guess it depends, you know, like whether it's a small percentage of uh, of their holdings or... If it's if it's not, I, I mean, look, I I I have um, I have some concerns. I I think on this particular instance, I think if she's been, if she's gone to the, if she's gone to all of the trouble of actually querying it, asking whether it's valid, whether it's legitimate, I think that's fair. She um, did, and then I think what happened was is that at the time the holding must have been worth I don't know fifty thousand, forty thousand, yeah. something like that, and then at some point. Shell must have done something and they either a buyback or something and the shares, yeah. the value, value of the shares yeah, yeah, jumped up. and she didn't realise and therefore didn't declare. Yeah, but we, which to some extent, you know, you're right. She's acted. She's acted in accordance. She's acted in accordance with the rules. Yeah. I'm just amazed that the, 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 the threshold. Besides the threshold, I didn't realise that at all. 
Well, I think, I mean, yeah, again, I mean, you know, what I, what's going to make a difference? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if, you, if you do hold shares in a way where you're not actively managing them, um, I, mean, I agree with the idea. I think many policymakers should put things in blind trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that makes complete sense. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that it, they shouldn't sort of, nothing, nothing, no policy that they make should affect uh, the fact that, you know, in fact, the the holdings that they they have at the at the time, um, and I think that's a completely fair and legitimate thing um, uh, to, because for it to happen. I, I know the, your the point. threshold. The threshold uh, of seventy thousand pounds. I mean, look, you would probably say that if it was forty thousand pounds or thirty thousand pounds. My point. My, my point being is that uh, <laughs> members of parliament. Okay, some of them are, and the stereotype is that they're extremely, extremely wealthy, mm. and some are. Theresa Villiers may be one of those. I don't know, actually, but some of them are not. I mean, an average salary for a backbench MP is about 100 grand, I think. Maybe no, it's less. less. It's right, less. so say it's, a, so it's that, about 85,000. Right, so you're yeah. saying the threshold for the shares is almost the same as a year's earnings. That's, quite, many, that's yeah. quite high, right? That's like but saying. Many of them, I mean, that many, will, many of them are going to come from some sort of. They, they will come from a background where they may have created wealth from beforehand. Right, but so we're just assuming that most to most MPs are seventy thousand as well. But to some MPs, that's going to be quite. That's a year's earnings. Yeah, that's not bad <laughs> to have that as your threshold for which you have to declare a whole year's earnings. I think I mean I'm just amazed by it. I mean, as you say, the blind trust thing. I get. I think that would make perfect sense. And then mm. you just and then there is no threshold because you don't know what you're invested in. So you're just you just continue to act, even though the the portfolio is professionally managed. Theresa Villiers can click on the website and see what she's invested in constantly, right? Yeah. And if she if I'm not saying she did this at all, but I'm saying if she can see that she has a big holding. Okay, you're saying it's not big. I'm saying I'm not could, saying that it's not saying, big. I'm saying, saying, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't mind that I'm holding saying, myself. I'm right? saying I'm <laughs> saying it could be the value of someone's entire annual earnings, right? Yeah. As yeah. an MP, yeah. and you're saying she can see that she holds that, and over the long term, over the course of her time at, in that mm. department, she makes um, uh, decisions that are beneficial to companies like that she's invested in she will do well out of it look i mean uh, look i mean it's not she doesn't have to pick it's not like it's an insider deal where she has to pick the time at which sale mm. okay then she's looking for one off here get a spike and sell it but mm. if over the course of five years she just enacts policies and over that time it helps shell's shares to go up 40 50 percent that's not bad is it mm. i mean i'm not saying that uk policy is going to affect their shares directly yeah. like that but mm. There's the potential, especially if you have an individual who, let's say, has financial problems and can see that they they could get some money out of this. Okay, all right. I'll put this in another way. I, I my uh, this, you own a house, right? Yeah. How much do your house? Take? You don't have to tell, but I mean, you know, you, you know, <laughs> you, you know that your house has a certain value to it, right? Yeah. And it's probably your main asset, right? Now, now, if you're sitting, main asset is his right foot. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you you holding that house, you yeah. know that that's your main asset. You know that, say, as a policymaker, um, you can you can dictate to a certain degree either the value or the interest, or you know, like that you're paying on your mortgage. Does that also cause a problem? Do, do we all have the same, or, or is it just? Are we assuming that just because we all have the same issue now, uh, like a backbencher that's just come in may not have a house, but somebody 
you know, that's been around a little bit longer does. Mm. Is it going to be a policy shift? Do we have to start declaring now, you know, like sort of all of our assets um, uh, to ensure that we're not being, you, you know, we're not cheating the system, essentially? So I don't. Well, I think you just compared owning shares in Shell to to, uh, owning, a to owning a house. Yeah, I think that I think they're two different things. Right. Because if you're a minister in the department that uh, devises policy f- on energy, you have a direct impact on those companies that operate in that space. She doesn't. She hasn't got the ability to create policy that's going to affect the house, the price of her house. Or interest rates, is she? She hasn't got that ability. I mean, you, some of the decisions that you make will will affect. For example, I mean, if you're going to talk about, you know, if you're going to support um, cutting uh, or raising taxes, or you know, yeah. like making, you know, like doing something that's going to have some inflationary oh, pressures. As in votes are outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's a, look. It's, it's it's a tough one because I just think that yes, this, this gets very murky when you're talking about what your holdings are. You know, like and what. And how to sort of manage it when you have direct decisions? You would assume that a lot, a lot of the MPs, you would hope, right, that many of them aren't doing it for personal gain, um, yeah. and as, as much as possible, you know, like th- that they that they do take a fair. I don't think it's right that we always sort of pick out. For example, I remember, you know, quite a while back, um, charities came under a lot of scrutiny because, for example, their portfolio managers, they'd say, oh, they've got money in defence. You know, how can a charity hold, oh, right, yeah. hold money in defence? But actually, what what the uh, portfolio managers, all they were doing was buying an index, yeah, yeah, yeah. which would just happen to have, you know, some mm. BAE or some Lockheed Martin in there. And, uh, you know, that it was it was made into a really big thing. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. like they, that yeah. they have they hold this amount in which case, you know, like then you okay, so you're OK with the professionally managed portfolio. Well, I think I'm, I think it has to be fair, right? That you think um, I, I, I feel that it's fair because at that particular point, you're essentially giving mm. your money over to someone yeah. who is managing it for you um, completely on the basis that they're just trying to sort of create some wealth or create extra wealth. Yeah. Um, but you don't know essentially yeah. what they're doing, right? You, and I you, guess, and and to be fair to your point, I think that is that threshold is for that when you don't know mm, what's going on. Yes. I think if, say, for example, let's just say, if you are managing yourself, yes, if yeah. she had bought shares herself in Correct. Shell, I think even if it's a much lower uh, number, five pounds, yeah. ten pounds, she, the ethics advisor, would have said to her yeah, when he a said of interest, yeah. exactly when he yeah. said in this conversation, you don't need to do anything about exactly. it. He would have said you need to sell those. And shares I tell you what, Hans, I, I tell you what, you look at you look at the US. Right. You look at a lot of the people, the senators, uh, the, uh, you know, people that hold real power over there. A lot of them come from very, very, you know, they come from very wealthy backgrounds and not just wealthy backgrounds. Many of them may even come from fund administration, you know, like sort of themselves. Um, Nancy Pelosi gets a lot of stick um, because she owns quite a few millions in in specific stocks and shares, which, mm-hmm. which is held through a blind trust. And, uh, you know, if you... If you if you follow Twitter, <laughs> you know you, you'll sort of see you know like when she's actually buying and selling sort of items, um, and they make a very big deal out of it. But again, it's all held in blind trust, yeah. blind trust. I I I'm not sure what's the fair thing. You can't say to people that you you shouldn't be able to manage your money, or is it that you go yeah. into politics and then you say, okay, you can only hold cash, and you just got to sit there and that blind trust. I think I don't you know you don't know what what's in there exactly and. 
and so I think that's perfectly. And they all play games around with it, you know. Like for example, we knew that you know even Donald Trump when he went into power, he put mm. his sons oh, in yes, as <laughs> as the executors oh, of a blind yes, trust. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, uh, but yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. It's an interesting part of um uh, uh, what you know what what politicians have to do and how they how they should conduct themselves yeah uh moving obviously into the uk economy we saw uh wilco run into trouble this week and Hamza, we were talking offline um i mean how as a you know a company which is essentially catering to what people require right now which is you know cheap budget items gone so wrong yes yeah, it's, it's got to, there's got to be some sort of mismanagement going on there hasn't it because the other discount stores bm bnm um, and some of the others are are doing very well. Mm. Uh, they are flourishing. They are, you know, as you said, the in economic environment means that you'd have thought that companies like that will be um, uh, would be doing well at the moment. Mm. Um, so apparently, it has been down to some supply chain issues. So the cost of goods on the other side also going up and their inability to get stock in yeah. has caused a problem in terms of then people coming in and not being able to buy the things that they want right. and therefore them having a problem with the revenues uh, while their stock prices are going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that sense, they haven't been able to manage uh, the inventory um, and the flow of goods coming in and out. Yeah, And that's caused that's caused the problem um and so they're looking at they've got 400 shops in the country twelve and a half thousand jobs all at risk now they think that two to three hundred of those shops might be saved in some in some form right um as you say because the two rival discount uh, yeah. shops you know in the country are looking at it very closely because they're yeah. doing very well and they've got good footprint they've got good uh real estate ac- around the country in high streets um yeah. that you know are the other the other retailers think um, is worth is worth going in for. So mm. it is a it is a strange one. They were only, as you would, only a few weeks ago, saying that the rumours of them going into administration yeah. were totally false. <laughs> yeah, uh, but where there's smoke, there's often fire, and you know, a couple of weeks later, they're filing for administration. So yeah, it's sad, but you know, I guess that's what happens if you mismanage businesses in a tough tough environment their margins will be very very thin Mm. very very thin and so it does come down to how effectively they can manage that flow of that flow of stock Mm, no i mean and it is it's always sad to see i mean because it was i think wilco for the large part it's another one of those you know like large family-run businesses it's been it's been around for a while um you know grew to a nice size I think that I mean again it's another it's another firm that uh, cites the pandemic as a you know potential uh, potential flashpoint um and it's sort of struggled to manage itself out of it you know they they did take um they did take debts on to try and sort of um manage that risk um but then when you also look at it you know they also took a very large dividend last year it sort of goes back to you know like this whole idea of trying to give shareholder return and um, mm. trying to manage the business, you know, like you, you, you have to manage that as best as possible. But um, it's obviously and, it, and you're right, I think it's just I think the financials have been mismanaged, I think, regardless of, you know, supply chain issues, etc. I mean, other other companies are uh, have managed um, uh, to, to sort of come out the other end and now are actually making up a lot of that uh, profit back. Um, yeah, you, you do look at it and you know mismanagement i think will account for a lot and i think there there comes a point when also 
I, I think we really need to sort of start also thinking about the way that we were t- just talking about share ownership and you know like the way that especially in this country dividends are quite a large portion of the reason why people will invest in stocks and shares yeah. i mean we're, we're the uk is renowned for sort of a, having a high you know, we have high dividend stock um uh, you know like you look at your bps you look at this thing the reason being is for a large part they're always held through pensions um we're one of the biggest pension markets in the world um so dividends are always a very large portion of that plus the tax incentives of taking dividends mm. and that in itself i think creates a slight problem um and we're always trying to sort of it, a lot of these companies are always trying to ensure that there is a dividend in place um whether it be financially a financially sound decision or not um and i think that's needs to be looked at if you look at the us for example there will be some some stocks and shares which although they will provide a dividend and some of the most profitable companies in yeah. the world like apple like apple small. yeah will 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 offer very small dividend um mm. because they're not that kind of company you know like and it's not that kind of economy they 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 do probably a little bit more you know it's it's capitalism right so mm. it's it's a, it's a it's an increase in capital that they're looking for not not so much an increase in income mm. but uh it's uh yeah it's it, it's um it's an interesting for me very much so it's an interesting topic and i i find that a lot of the companies in the uk why they struggle or you know like why they will always struggle is 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 this um insistence of ensuring shareholder return of and you see this very much so in the utility companies for example mm. and that's been you know and you can see what what effects that that have had and it, they simply could not be bailed out properly by 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 the government where at, you know in you look at for example France Germany i mean a lot of it is uh, and we I, i know we've talked about it before a lot of it is state owned you know a lot of the utilities and mm. infrastructure is 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 state owned and that allows them to be able to sort of control the prices and sort of control the flow of it but when you look at for example things like Thames water uh, it's southern water that that had the problem isn't it recently mm. but i mean yeah. you like the, the amount of uh, dividends that they're paying out but then they still have this like 3 400 million gap which has to be subsidized by the, by the by the government um one has to look at it and think is, is this is this really working uh, anymore and do do we have to now think of uh, do we now have to think a little bit more um subjectively and a bit more creativity with with a bit more creativity as to how our companies are actually run in this country I think so I think it's an important uh, thing to do but I think the knock on effect of something like Wilker going down is the high street is changing quite a lot and the oh, knock on yeah. effect that that has you know people who are going onto the high street to do some of their shopping at a Wilker whatever then there's the other small businesses around that mm-hmm. who will obviously pick up trade and whatever it might be you know lunchtime passing trade and they're saying that the knock on effect now is it's killing the high street or what's left of the high street I mean it's true and if you look if you walk down a high street nowadays I mean what you you're going to find several coffee shops you know a few charity shops um state it's not agent. it's states and a state agent yeah it's you you're absolutely i think you know like it's it's it is a very very different profile um what the high street was i mean i remember going with my grandfather down jillingham uh, high street um you know often he would know everyone along there but you know you'd have you'd have you know you'd have the uh, the clothes stores you'd have the electric shops you'd have this many of them don't exist anymore you know i i was thinking that the other day and many of them don't sort of exist nowadays you don't even see banks for example on high streets you know they they're all closing yeah. down 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, the high the high street has changed a lot, and uh, the profile of the high street has changed uh, a lot. So yeah, you're right. I think you know some of these companies going under. I think it's it's it will have a knock on effect. Yeah, not not an easy thing. Obviously, the UK is adjusting to quite a lot of changes. Uh, I think that's that's the other side of um, the reliance we now have on online shopping. Mm, know, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, but I mean, to just get onto another bugbear about, which is why the <laughs> you know it's, I think it's crazy that you know <coughs> councils still charge so much for parking around uh, around a high street. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, if you want yeah. people to come in, you want people to come in to use the yeah. shops. You know, you can't be charging for that. Oh, extortionate exactly. rate for parking on the high street as well it's crazy and i think the problem becomes is then if you don't have good you know if you don't have good uh, public infrastructure yeah. you know and you're not and you, yeah exactly and you're also charging you know that high levels yeah. um of course the footfall is going to drop i mean I, actually i was on you know there, there was an app the other day i so you know just to buy something you could actually take a picture of yourself and it would actually work out you know like the size that you should be wary. I mean, this. I mean, yeah. you know, like online shopping has become so uh, has come so much more uh, advanced. Yeah. And I think that the high street has struggled to sort of stay in touch. You know, like uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I work around um, Oxford Oxford Street. I mean, it's still it's still relatively busy. Um, mm. uh, you know, you still sort of see a lot of footfall, but uh, I think <laughs> you sort of look at it. I noticed very carefully, not a lot of people are actually holding bags. I think I think a lot of people actually go in, they'll Just have a look around. at what they wander around, they'll buy, have a look at online. and then buy online. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's almost been like it's become like a day out rather yeah, yeah. than totally. uh, rather than actual. But, but then when you walk up and down, um, Oxford Street was quite uh, you know a, a well-renowned place to go. Yeah. If you walk up and down Oxford Street now, you'll see so many shops just selling tourists. Yeah. you know sort of goods and what they're like pop-up shops yeah 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 the crazy um, thing is in kingston now isn't it i mean so many of those temporary kind of yeah. phone cover shops yeah, yeah. phone cover shops you know, yeah. you know, and sweet like, shops i don't know if you've seen yeah, it's like shops. expensive yeah. real estate right it used to be yeah. you know lots of clothes shops expensive yeah. shops yeah and now you've just got phone cover shops strange yeah, yeah. really strange yeah. i think i mean i think you're seeing a sort of change of profile of everything i mean it's uh it is quite, um, you know, it's it's probably probably people of our age we probably find it depressing, but I don't think younger the yes. younger generation see any different yeah. change in it. I, d yeah. I don't think they s sort of understand that concept um, as much, so so it's less of a concern for them. I mean, when you talk about you know attitudes, the way things have changed, I remember people telling me when Dubai was up and coming, people would say, "Do you know people?" actually drop kfc to people's doors and it's like, <laughs> yeah. how, how lazy are these people and lo and behold it's a norm now yeah, for yeah. us right who who actually will actually get up and say okay i'm actually going to go and buy food no i'll just do it on my app and it will turn up at my door so you know i think everything does absolutely change it, it has changed and uh, no i mean it is a, I mean, it's a sort of interesting progression i guess uh, uh in the world it's uh can go into sort of long it's even about you know people now doing a lot more home uh working from home a lot more often and that, mm. how that's changed the profile of uh even commercial uh you know like sort of commercial centers um on the whole and i think we are going through a massive transition phase at the moment where where we are you know we're seeing sort of some things be brought back into sort of local and rural areas other things sort of being pushed out into cities and um, what have you? I think entertainment has become more and more of a bigger thing, but it's a uh, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of space at the moment. This this big transition that we're going through. Yeah, in terms of transition, obviously we were we you know from a community perspective, you know, um, I think post COVID or pre to COVID, you know, coming for example for us being Muslims coming to the mosque to pray mm. was something you know especially for those of an elderly generation who perhaps don't work now or are mm. retired, for them that was a real you know oh, so, part yeah, and parcel yeah. of their social yeah, yeah. life so to speak, but also you know, that that want for them to be in communion and connect with, with God. Um, you know, has that changed for the younger generation, perhaps? I don't know. I mean, I, I think to a slight degree, but like you said, I think uh, our older generation saw the value of community. And I think mm. we, you know, that that's something that we, we, we continue to try and instill, which was a, very much instilled in us. And I guess we all try and instill into our children, right? So... Mm. Um, I think the value of the community, uh, the value of um, the Jamaat, as it were, uh, for us is incredibly important. It gives, you know, it gives you a sense of belonging, and I think that that I think is sort of fading out in certain parts. I I, I do think that that mm. it, there is there is an issue sort of in the broader in in the broader world mm. right now that um, people are le- feel less linked. To something, yeah, um, and uh, I think the the idea that you know, especially for example, the Ahmadi uh, Muslim community. I mean, you know, the events that it holds, uh, not just sort of externally for even for you know, like for its own um, for for the members um, to remain engaged and within. I think it's incredibly important. I think, and it's incredibly important for generational shifts. Like for example, you know, you go to some of our monthly meetings, you'll see. The elderly, you'll see the families, you'll see the children all in one place. And it's mm. it's actually quite an important thing, I would say. Yeah, well, obviously, we had the uh, annual convention uh, just a few weekends ago. And, you know, 40,000 people attending, 40,000 plus over three days is not a small amount of people. Absolutely. To so there obviously is a want for that to happen. Um, what we'll do is we'll go for a short break. And uh, when we return, we'll move on to our main topic on the ULEDs and the environment side of things and our premiership preview. Please do join us after the break. The Holy Quran states, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. An-Nur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees and a person who has gone astray finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well. The true light is God, which can be perceived in everything by those with insight. However, one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it. A believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed, as well as the universe that cannot be observed, is created by God in order to give an understanding of this light. God sends His chosen people who spread the nur, which comes down from the heavens throughout the world. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, writes, that lights of high degree, 
that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels, was not in the stars, was not in the moon, was not in the sun, was not in the oceans or the rivers, was not in rubies or emeralds, or sapphires or pearls. In short, it was not in any earthly or heavenly object. It was only in perfect man, whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example was our Lord and Master, the chief of the prophets, the chief of all living ones, Muhammad, the chosen one. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur, which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment. The nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them, so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago. He also granted him the station to spread this nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, when the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God stay hidden? Good morning and welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. It's uh, 11.06 on the 12th of August and you're joined by myself, Shazal Lone, and my co-presenters in the studio, Hamza Vanderman and Saf Ahmadi. Um, we are a live show and we will be discussing ULEDs very shortly, um, but feel free to call us uh, if you have an opinion or want to share anything on the topics. Um, our phone number here is 0208 687 7878. That's 0208 687 7878. Or on our Twitter handle at Voice of Islam UK or via the website at www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, Hamza, kick us off on the main topic. Uh, the topic that everyone in South and North London's talk are talking about <laughs> uh, at the moment, the extension of uh, ULES, which is the low emission zone uh, in London. Uh, and from the 29th of August, uh, so at the end of this month, the zone, the low emission zone, will cover all 32 boroughs of London, so all the way out uh, to 
um, the borough of Kingston in the south, yeah. and I think the borough of Barnet uh, in the north. So the all so you know the whole the whole shabam. Um, and so that means, what does that mean? If your car is not compliant, um, that means it's going to cost you £12.50 a day to drive your car out of your driveway mm-hmm. or off the curb. £12.50 a day. And what is non-compliant? It's Euro 4 uh, for petrol and Euro 6 for diesel. So that's about, I think, 2013 uh, 2013 cars um, uh, for petrol, maybe 2015, 2016 for diesel, mm-hmm. and so that's obviously you know big big problem for lots and lots of people living uh, in those new boroughs that are going to be uh, affected. Uh, Twelve pound fifty a day is you know that's a big charge just for driving, you know, just mm-hmm. for literally starting the ignition. Uh, on your car and it's particularly I think frustrating and annoying for people who bought those diesel cars Mm. uh, on government incentives when the thinking was that diesel cars were uh, actually uh, more environmentally friendly because diesel lasts longer than petrol and so the government encouraged people with subsidies to buy diesel cars and now the thinking has reversed and people are being punished for buying those cars um, and being told that if you don't have a compliant car, it's £12.50 per day. They have, the government has, it's worth saying, uh, extended the um, scrappage scheme. So it's now you can get £2,000 to scrap a car uh, anywhere in the capital, any car you want to scrap, £2,000. Goes for a to, non-compliant for a non-compliant car that can go towards the purchase of it. Yeah, not just going to give you two thousand pounds to, to <laughs> you know to get your get your you know beer, your twenty twenty two BMW changed. That's not hap- that's not that's not happening. Non-compliant. Can, I get, can car. I get away with not telling them I've got a lease? Non-compliant car two thousand pounds towards the the new car. So. Uh, obviously, lots of people quite angry. It's actually also the reason. It's a. It's a. It's. Um, it's worth saying this is a policy, a flagship policy of Sadiq Khan, the mm. London mayor. Uh, so this is his. Uh, this is his personal baby, his personal. Uh, you know, project, his personal biggest policy, probably uh, that he is behind, um, and he thinks it's a key part of reducing pollution, air pollution in the capital, uh, and so he has been willing. He's been. A, you know, wanting to take on all the criticism, wanting to take on all the uh, so received a lot detractors, that, a lot yeah. of criticism. Yeah. It's it. The policy was the has been cited as the reason why Labour lost the by-election in Uxbridge. Mm -hmm. So if we remember, there were three recent by-elections. Labour absolutely cruised uh, two of them for all those national uh, reasons that we've been to. Oh, yeah, and Lib Dem, sorry, and the other. And the reason why Labour were, you know, supposed to win Uxbridge, you'd have thought they should win Uxbridge, Mm -hmm. uh, but they lost. And why did they lose it? You know, people on the doorstep, apparently the polls citing that uh, the expansion of ULEZ was the main reason Sadiq Khan, Labour mayor, therefore seen um, as a Labour policy. uh, And therefore, you know, they didn't win that. So lots of criticism. There was a high court case last week. Uh, it was seen as the last challenge to try and um, uh, try and uh, have the high court rule that the 
uh, policy was illegal. They mm. lost that case. Sadiq Khan and the mayor, the government, won that case. And so now the policy can go ahead as lawful. There'll probably be other challenges, but that was seen as the that was seen as the main one brought by the boroughs. Uh, the new boroughs that are going to be impacted. They said it was an illegal policy. They lost that case. Um, and so we are now approaching uh, D-Day. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting... Uh, it's an interesting policy. Um, I'm not sure I'm also in favour of it. I mean, on the face of it, I can understand, I can understand the reasonings for it. I can understand uh, the importance of trying to get pollution levels down in London I think for the large part <clears throat> I guess my point on it is I think this is going to affect um, the working classes a lot more than it is any other class um, Why? I think if you can afford a new uh, you know a compliant car mm-hmm. or an electric car that's one thing that's fine but for example tradespeople that probably have had an old car you know people for for People that have been coming in and out of London, you know, like for example, uh, for example, m- my wife's car is not ULES compliant. I mean, not that she comes into London; she doesn't have to. I mean, she, um, but she, she's a midwife. <clears throat> you know, she will have to go. She does go. Uh, she does drive into work. On the one hand, she's already being asked to pay for parking. Now, thankfully, we're you know we're a dual income household, so we can we can sort of manage any of that if that was to come up but then you see a lot of people that have to for example nurses doctors porters all of these i mean we've got a cousin that's a doctor um he's also having to sort of think about how he's got to do it because he's constantly on call he may have to come into london the timings the shift work means that um public transport isn't always an option for for uh, for them now if you start taking that away and enforcing that they have to change their cars and I mean you say that you're going to get a scrappage screen right of £2,000 which is fine mm. mm-hmm. so what's going to ultimately happen to the price of cars or you know like compliant cars if there's a massive demand for them you know yeah. that's going to go higher as well so that £2,000 is probably just going to get chewed up anyway I think there's been a lack of creativity in thinking about a real solution for this um, uh, and just sort of saying that you know certain types of cars will not be allowed anymore um I, th- I think it just creates a problem, and I, I, th- I think it will be a problem. Um, I think you'll get through it. Of course you will, you know, like the, the, the thing, but it will drag some people under as a result. £12.50 a day is not cheap, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's, just, it's not small money. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the point. Absolutely. No, no, but I'm saying it's not small money for no. for someone that may have to come in regularly. Who The other thing is just remember, you know, like the minute you come into London... Prices are high for, for a com- you know for for housing yourself, rents, uh, mortgages, everything like that. That that you're already sort of sitting at a much higher tier than outside. A lot of people may live outside of London but travel in, and that may just be just crossing us one small border, mm-hmm. right, to get into um, to work to do what they have to. You're essentially putting a line <clears throat> of. Uh, Oh yeah, I mean we've got tradespeople in our area because we're not in the ULO zone, but we're very close to it. We're like literally five minutes away from one. Um, who have said they're just going to stop taking jobs inside of London because mm-hmm. they just can't afford to do it. They just can't. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You know, if they're spending over a hundred pounds a week to sort of cross over, 
Um, it just doesn't make sense for them mm-hmm. anymore. Mm. So um, I think it would have... Look, I understand. It's a very difficult situation. And um, uh, would it have been better to sort of have some sort of tiered system? I think so. You know, like where... Um, uh, for specific reasons it would have been incredibly difficult to manage it would have been incredibly expensive to manage but um, I fear that this is just uh, it's harming it's harming the wrong type of people here you know so here's the thing so um, you know I think that I think those are all uh, very strong points Mm. I think what you've and and the other thing that I initially, you know, many years ago, and I heard about this uh, upcoming before mm. it was re- kind of felt real, but was this, this thing around? Well, how can you draw a line mm. around air pollution? Yeah, yeah. You know, the edge is, just, you know, you can draw a line around <laughs> yeah, where yeah. you're going to start charged exactly. being charged. But yeah. you know, if you're like for you in your example there, so if you know if you're in Kent or in Surrey on the other side of the zone, mm. and you've got a non-compliant car, to think that that air, you know, isn't going to just flow into the zone, exactly. you know, yeah. air pollution, you know, air pollution doesn't work like that. And that I don't think that two thousand pound scrapage scheme is available exactly. for people. Uh, uh, that's uh, right, yeah. it's not. Yeah. So you know, you start to think, okay, well, that's a bit of a strange thing to try and draw a line but the more i've read about it and the more um uh you know i've thought about okay how else could you do it the more difficult it becomes mm. you have to draw a line somewhere you can stagger you can stagger things but then you know you're basically just delaying the impact as mm. it were or pr- prolonging the impact and when you look at how uh how impactful how negatively impactful the air pollution has been to people's health in central london mm. um uh and then you see the benefit of the current ULES scheme is being seen to have in central london so i think the stats are um uh toxic nitrogen dioxide down 46% in central london since ULES has come in yeah uh they're expecting it to go down in Greater London by sixty percent mm. once they enact ULES, you know, and th- that is, and I know that there's a big cost argument here, right? Obviously, but you know, it's also the working classes who are most impacted by air pollution, and they say again, the research says that the air pollution is impacting their health and their life expectancy more than you know rich people who are able to live their lives in a different way and therefore are less impacted by it so there's this argument this perennial argument i guess around you know what is the right cost for that health benefit and 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 how do you manage it and you know our last office was on um uh, uh but the last place where i worked was just off the embankment um just off the strand and i couldn't believe how you know you could feel the pollution of the strand Mm. And um, and th- and you know when I realised stuff like that, you can realise how localised actually a lot of the air pollution is. We I used to walk to the office and on the strand, and feel like what is going, and I just felt is it. That, and then and then again, I'd read the it. Strand is a lot more of an older area, and you maybe feel like that. There's just a lot of traffic thing? there. There's no. Yeah. There's a lot it of traffic. There's a lot yeah. of traffic always on the strand. I think because <clears> it just runs from uh, Trafalgar Trafalgar Square down yeah. to. Uh, Fleet Street, St Paul. So I think mm. it's just, a, and I don't think there are many other main roads that run 
the same way. Right. I would so say there's I mean, just always traffic there. Yeah, but a majority of that, if I'm going to be quite frank, I think are going to be a lot of the buses anyway. Oh, no, I agree. Because there are a lot of the yeah, diesel-run yeah. buses. Oh, that... I totally agree. Sorry, I'm not saying that that was because of the cars. I'm yeah. just saying yeah. that, you know, you could tell that the <clears> air pollute, and then <clears> the stats say, you were kind of, you know, because we were there and I was feeling it, we moved it. I'm not feeling it, but I could just notice it. Mm. I actually kind of Googled kind of what is it, and there are these red zones, and the Strand is like this massive red zone for air pollution, mm. right? My point being that actually air pollution is quite localised. Mm. Um, it can be quite localised. And so actually, obviously the idea of a line is stupid. Everyone knows that. Yeah. But actually there are, lo- you know, if you can do stuff locally, you will uh, greatly benefit air pollution quite quickly. Well, I think, and that's exactly it, right? For, so, for example, those are going to be touch points where you do get... Um, more extreme congestion, you know, which is essentially it leads straight into more pollution anyway. So, for example, I know the Strand and, you know, like around Victoria, for yeah. example, around the one-way system there and what have you, you get a lot of big trucks mm-hmm. that come through. So you're going to get buses, trucks, um, you know, like uh, remo- you know, like these kind of the yeah, big, vans. Big, big, big vans that um, do create a lot more uh, pollution. Um, and those are the ones that are actually affecting. It's not actually your day-to-day driver mm-hmm. um, because there aren't that many anyway in, in, in central London. You know, most of them are going to be taxi drivers um, and Uber drivers mm-hmm. and, you know, like uh, all of that kind of thing, which for the large part are moving to a more electric, um, you know, like sort of uh, infrastructure. Um, but when you've got things like buses which is your main sort of, you know, uh, movement around, which are still using old diesel um, engines. Yeah. You know, I I think you're sort of, again, you're you're sort of going after people. And I don't really know. Firstly, I don't really know how much money this will raise, um, uh, you know, as as a result. Or or whether it's, I guess it's not intended to raise money. Mm. Or they will say that it's not intended to raise money. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, um, you know, it's it's more as a deterrent. Yeah. But how much effect it's going to have. Um, so I think it is, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think some of the inconsistencies are where it falls down. Mm. Uh, you're absolutely right. Just because, you know, you've got a strong black cab lobby yeah. to exempt black <clears throat> cabs yeah, yeah, yeah. from the rule yeah. is frankly ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the same thing, because you've made the investment in buses <laughs> yeah. that are non-compliant, that, yeah, yeah. you're not going to change that exactly, anytime yeah. soon. You let exactly. that go. That's inconsistent. And exactly. I think that type of thing rightly annoys and frustrates people yeah and i and i and i, and I also agree with you, it's probably just hasn't been phased in it's brought it's a hard line straight off the know, bat, yeah, and yeah. for political reasons absolutely and i think that is the other thing so i kind of like the direction of travel yeah but you know without the and but in my head i always think well you're never going to have the perfect solution well yeah no it's true and i don't think you can have a perfect solution but i think what you can do is get you can a do better bit, yeah you can do yeah. better and you can be a bit more creative that's all i think i think you know like for example and the other thing is i think you know like investment into some of the infrastructure that we have mm-hmm. to ensure that that's a lot more compliant makes a big difference i think for example you know like for big trucks and a lot of the lorries that go through london I think trying to figure out a way of, you know, um, because there are converters that they can be used, but they're very expensive to install. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you're coming from, you know, like from international markets, you know, you sort of see vans from all sorts of places that are sort of wandering around London. But, you you know, getting, um, in- ensuring that those um, are compliant uh, would make sense. 
even you know like tradesmen you know like giving them maybe a better scrappage uh, scheme you mm-hmm. know like to to ensure or you know like help with the leasing of um uh, of of their vehicles i think there were <clears throat> there were a range of things that could have been used but like you said i think there was an element of p- politics in this as well um i think the the mayor wanted to make a big impactful legacy statement um i think he there was the concern from the other side that you know the conservatives weren't he- helping and you know there the, there was all this politics sort of uh, in in the background that sort of has got us to this level where yeah. it's going to be pushed regardless yeah. and it's going to be pretty uh, um pretty heavy um but yeah i i i think the concern i'm i i see is that all initially you're you it's it's going to be very difficult for quite a few for quite a number of people um and i think people are already having sleepless nights as to sort of how you know how they're going to resolve this issue um as i said i think there are you know there are definitely there is a there are a lot of valid reasons why why people are really really going to struggle with this for example as i mentioned you know the nurse that just lives outside of london to be able to afford a house but traveling yeah, in yeah. in to you know like to try and uh, get to a job mm-hmm. um it 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 has become very very difficult for people to sort of uh, be able to you know to understand how to manage this now um i i don't know i i agree with your sentiment i i also think that you know whatever you have to do you have to you, we have to do better to try and clear up the the air in uh in in the um in the city i, I think that's in that that's an obvious you know like that's an obvious uh um uh, reason to to start doing something mm-hmm. i'm not entirely sure if this something is is the right thing yeah, but we talked about high street traffic and we talked <clears> about <throat> how things are changing and what have you surely things will sort themselves <clears throat> out in central london i mean if you've got less footfall you've got less traffic you've got less people going into town people do a lot more stuff online i guess it's delivery charges and those types of things but i mean you know is it a real problem is this a first world issue what do you mean a first world issue in the sense of are we just making a big thing of environmental i mean right fine europe's a bit bit hotter 45 degrees you get a bit more of a tan when you go there big deal <laughs> uh it's true i mean i don't know i mean i i think look with with climate change i think there look there's there is a debate to be had as to how much human involvement and how much is it just natural um global climate change we're humans we move around we there's two bits there's, there's two bits there's gas. two there's two bits to this though isn't there there's the there's the um there's the climate change rationale for it, but i don't think that's the, that's the reason for that and that's not being that's kind of a peripheral reason i guess mm. for this policy this policy is very much because of the direct consequences of air pollution having on people's health yeah through asthma and and actually um <clears throat> there's lots of there's lots of uh, evidence around it causing shortened lives lifespan as well so if you're living around um you know high pollution I know what areas going to say is like we live longer anyway so what's the problem exactly. <laughs> oh, right. okay. exactly. averages are going up we're all moving to electric cars anyway so that's going to happen we're probably going to find out in about 10 or 50 years time that the amount of heat generated from uh, charging your car electrically is causing more damage to the environment than gas and now we're going back to petrol <laughs> but yeah no i mean look it's it's <clears throat> these are these are all fair uh, it's actually is i look there There are times when I I do think we 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 like to sort of catastrophize the idea of climate change to to sort of a level that maybe we don't need to. Um 
I think there is <clears throat> there is a large element of natural global change. Having said that, I think we should be doing all we can to make sure air is cleaner um, for you know children. For I think just for livelihoods. I mean, you know, like we wouldn't want to grow up in like mm. you know eighteen eighteenth century like Birmingham when uh, what do you call it the you know when you had the industrial revolution and you like you've got sort of smog and everything uh, coming through when you know like the Thames was like. Uh, you know, sort of dripping in oil, you know, like sort of as you're going through that. You yeah, know, like you're going to go swimming in the Thames now, aren't you? Well, exactly. But <laughs> we can't anyway because of because of the whole industrial evolution, right? So, but I, I mean, you don't want to be living in an environment like that. So that's, that, that's I think, key. That's, that's number one. Um, <clears throat> is it that bad? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, pollution levels have been dropping significantly. I mean, even I remember from being, you know, from, from sort of growing up in the sort of 80s and 90s, there's a massive difference. There's a massive difference in London in terms of pollution. There's a, you know, like you can, <clears throat> you go around sort of Hyde Park and uh, that kind of area right now. I mean, it's it feels clean, you know, like you it does feel that it's a, it's a lot different to mm-hmm. to the, those days. You don't get those sort of uh, blackened out buildings by by the road because of all of the petrol uh, fumes and um, what have you. They they, they look. I mean, I don't know. Or they're just doing a better cleaning yeah, job. That's I'm not what I'm sure. They just, just cleaned it up better. That's the only difference. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I just think that this is this is talk, sort of taking a sledgehammer to a nut. You know, this uh, uh, the, the ULES expansion. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I just think that it's it needs to be it needs to be uh, resolved in a better way. So it, just just bring it back to um, the Islamic angle on things as well. So um, yeah, within the Quran, one of the verses says, "Corruption has spread on the land and the sea because of what men's hands have wrought." And one of the interpretations of the above verse in the Holy Quran is that the environmental pollution uh, caused by human beings and that is spread by both land and sea uh, due to our own inventions, i.e., fumes from chimneys, factories, uh, chemical, nuclear waste, uh, huge traffic in cities, etc. Exactly everything we talked about is, is actually manifests uh, testimonies of the fulfillment of that prophecy uh, but his holiness the leader of the Ahmadi uh, Muslim community Hazrat Ahmad, may Allah be his helper he said in today's world we often see the major powers and international institution make schemes or plans that are aimed at bettering the lives of people around the world in recent times one of the issues that many politicians and intellectuals have debated and campaigned about is climate change and specifically a reduction in carbon emissions Certainly, striving to protect the environment and to look after our planet is an extremely precious and noble cause. Yet, at the same time, the developed world and especially world leaders should also realise that there are other urgent, other urgent issues that must be tackled with the same urgency. People living in the world's poorest nations do not concern themselves with the environment or the latest figures on carbon emissions. Rather, they wake up each day wondering if they will be able to feed their children. Their economic plight is truly desperate and their poverty levels are far beyond our comprehension. For example, there are numerous countries where the majority of citizens do not have access to clean drinking water and are forced to survive by using dirty pond water to fulfil their basic needs. Even that is uh, not easily available. Uh, Rather, women and children have to travel each day for miles and then to collect water and families for which they carry home in big vessels balanced on their heads. So I think that kind of puts a little bit into perspective. And Saf, I'm sure you can shed a little bit of light um, in terms of what the Amadi Muslim community does in terms of IAAA and doing uh, water wells um, and bringing water, uh, you know, in and around the yeah, no, by the world. You know, by the grace of Allah, I mean, <clears throat> over the last few, over the last uh, decade or so, um, 
obviously I, I've got a strong link to it because uh, uh, you know my my father's um, it, it's my, my father's been looking after that uh, that particular side of mm. um, of, of the community's activities. Um, so <clears throat> we not only have been sort of uh, so the IAAA have not only been helping in installing electricity into um, you know into villages. Uh, but the most important, you know, this kind of water for life campaign mm. that they've been very active in, um, in, in terms of getting fresh water um, into a lot of rural villages. And this is exactly right. I mean, you know, as, as His Holiness mentioned, I mean, you know, you, you, for many of these places, you would see young women, girls um, having to travel. Um, and I'm not talking, you know, it's not small distances. You know, you're talking about three, four miles at least one way mm. to collect fresh water and then have to carry that all the way back. And this is a daily thing that they have to do. Mm. I mean, to put into perspective, um, you know, we probably, uh, you know, someone sort of seen as active will probably be doing about two miles of walking um, a day. Mm. Um, this is, you know, like this is... Uh, beyond comprehension sometimes the sort of hardships that many of these people have to be put through so mm. it's absolutely correct i mean to get fresh running water and <clears throat> i mean and <clears throat> for a large part many of the, the, you know we obviously we, the, the, this isn't done for accolade or anything like no, that so not. for but when it is done i mean many of these villages um you know that that you see them with sort of tears streaming down their eyes because they, they you know like this is this the idea of just having water in your village fresh water in your mm. village is i mean think about it i mean we become so immune to it we take it so much for granted the fact that you know you just walk down to your kitchen you know and get and get a glass of water that for some people that that in itself is uh is, is a major major um, uh, you know, progression of their life. Uh, a lot of people in this country <coughs> now won't actually drink the tap water. It would only be bottled water. They don't drink <laughs> well, the tap. Exactly, right? exactly. But I mean, the f the fact that we have the availability for it. I think the fact that we, mm. you know, that it, we, we're in such a privileged position. Mm. Um, it's it's uh, sometimes you know like you, you and you know, <laughs> water is it's our life. You know, like it's a, it's a, it's part of our whole life system. You know, without mm. without water, we we, we don't exist. Um, um, so this is this is a really big part of it. And, you know, also, for example, you know, like building the mosques, build, you know, like putting electricity into um, certain villages. This is, you know, th these are the kind of fundamental um, uh, push that the IEEE have been doing over the last few years. And, and you know, it's it's um, it's been for a large part one of probably the more uh, the most um, uh, I think most fruitful um, labors that we, you know, like that the community has undertaken, um, and uh, His Holiness, I think, has always this has always been one of his one of his key messages and one of his key sort of reasons of pushing that. And uh, um, and by the grace of Allah, you know, we, we we have been very successful in doing so. Mm. No, it's good to see those sort of things. But I think, yeah, it kind of puts it in perspective. It is an issue. It's something that you know that that is talked about and, and is a problem. But uh, you know, I guess. You know, there's there's a bigger scheme of things. To look well, at I, yeah, I mean, yeah, actually, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, going back to what His Holiness is saying, I think you know, these are important issues. Of course, it's important that we have to uh, we we have to get these things correct. But mm. you know, by the same token, yes, you are having sort of across you know across the world right now, um, 
you know, the starvation hasn't ended. I mean, mm. you know, like we were talking about it earlier. You have droughts and mm. um, all of these things. You know, we're, we're sometimes we're, we're forgetting the immediate, um, the, the immediate need to help these people. Mm. Um, and for, you know, for a large part, I mean, I, you know, again, don't want to take away from it, but it's sort of these grandiose um, l- policies. Um, mm. One sometimes needs to think about sort of what, what's the here and now um, mm. and, and how do we deal with that well? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll take a short break and then we will return with our sports segment and our preview of the Premiership up and coming. Please join us after the break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increased from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and imposter to suffer through. Good morning and welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. Uh, it's 12th of August, joined by myself, Shazalone, Hamza Vanderman and Saf Amadi. Uh, we'll move on to our sports roundup and the return of the Premiership. And it seems like nothing's changed. Erling Haaland after three minutes. Doubles up straight away. Man City, 3-0 winners against Burnley, against one of uh, Pep Guardiola's, you know, apprentices, shall we say, Vincent Kameny. Um What do we think this year holds, barring the obvious? <laughs> um it's going to be it's going to be exciting there's lots of uh, last minute transfer drama as well yesterday we thought it was very fun harry kane off uh, to bayern very very interesting um, england captain going to play for you know germany's biggest side it was funny wasn't it there was lots of comments around whether he was going to do it not do it mm. gary neville and uh, jamie Carragher, you know quite vocally saying that you know he was never going to go he would stay in the premiership to win that to try well, not and to win, to win that so to <laughs> to be so, the top goal scorer ever i think that's the only thing you could win exactly to be best goal, goal yeah. best goal scorer ever as yeah. if that was uh, as if that's a uh, something to stay for yeah. he quite you know in fair play to him he's said you know forget that i'm going to go to one of the biggest clubs in the world and try mm. and win some win some trophies even if it's not in England and you know I think it was quite a um you know kind of small minded nationalist view to say oh don't go to don't go to Bayern Munich mm-hmm. um so fair play to Harry Kane he's got been offered his chance to go I think almost Spurs thought 
he wouldn't go. Yeah, yeah. I think Daniel Levy probably thought, you know, he's not going to go to he's not going to go to Bayern, but I can show everyone I accept the offer and I was willing mm. to let him go. Mm-hmm. And then the next oh, thing mean, you know, I he's think, on a plane. To be honest, I think for Tottenham, I think you know, hundred million, yeah, hundred million for essentially a player that was in a year's time could have gone for free mm. and has no resale value and at his has age. no resale value at his age. Doesn't. I think, yeah, I think there was very good. Uh, I think it was very. Economically speaking, you, you wouldn't turn it up. Oh, uh, turn it down. Mass- sorry, they're in massive trouble this year now, aren't they? Now, aren't they? Uh, I mean, they probably are, but then it's they've first. got hundred million. Yeah. I think they're in massive trouble every year, aren't they? <laughs> I think they portray that, and then they end up. You know, I mean, look, they haven't been that bad, but I mean, look, it's not you know dire situation. You've still got the, the standout player for me for Spurs for the last five Son, years has been yeah. has been son yeah, son yeah, you mean yeah, yeah. it's not i mean harry kane yeah he gets all the plaudits and you know he's protected as well because he's england captain etc so you know me and south talk about this often <laughs> that when you watch the commentary and they tell you nine out of ten terms he would have scored that when it's the that, sixth chance in the game they, they say that nine times out of ten well. exactly right but look i'm not saying <laughs> um, uh, no i mean look i think i think uh, credit to him. I think you know, get up. You go to a, you go to a big club. You know, you're you're sort of approaching a, a point in your career where, um, you know, you you've got limited amount of years uh, ahead of you. He hasn't won a, a major trophy of any kind, um, so it it makes sense for him to get up and think. I mean, and look, Bayern. Yes, you know, you can call it. Was it called the Farmers League or whatever? they call the French the Farmers yeah, the League? French but Bayern's yeah. not far behind it in the sense that they've won it for the last seventy hundred years. Consecutively, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And I mean, you know, I, I think I think if he went and then it would just be it would just be telling if he went and then they lost it. Dortmund or something. But I mean, look, yeah, it's it's uh, the. The fact that he has gone over there, he's he, he, look. It gives him it gives him a chance to win um, a trophy uh, of some kind. I think it will give him a good chance of winning a uh, potentially a European, um, uh, you know, a Champions League. But for, you don't know. But I mean, Bayern are known for to you know like to be there or thereabouts every year. So yeah. um, it gives him an opportunity to it. He's got he's left the country. I always I give anyone exactly. uh, I, I give a lot of English players a lot of credit for thing because it's not the done thing. Yeah. Um. Mm. You know where 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 uh, play. You know you, you saw it in and there's a, a, only a limited amount actually actually, uh, actually have a good career outside. Um, you know, we, more recently we've seen it with Sancho, with Bellingham. You know that that are beginning to sort of uh, show yeah, some signs. Th- they went as players who weren't established. And yeah, they yeah. Became yeah, established. Yeah, yeah, which is fair Whereas enough. Yeah, you can count the number of English exactly. players it's who've like gone what, abroad. Beckham, McManaman, Lineker, Lineker, uh, Gascoigne to a point. I think. Yeah, to a point. But it's Chris Waddle. Chris Waddle. Chris yeah. Waddle, indeed. Yeah. But the, I mean, but they're but they're few and far between. It's not the like the amount of yeah, Italians yeah. that have played in the Premier League that you you know like that we can yeah, all sort totally. of uh, yeah, think totally. the amount of Germans that have played in this league. So I think uh, good on him for going. I I, I actually think it's uh, I think it's a good. I think it's a good move, actually. Um, I think it's actually better than had he tried to stay and go for one of the big clubs like, you know, what I think was United were in for him at some stage. I think he would have struggled there. Um, uh, you know, uh, look, I, I, I think I think it's... I, I give him credit for, 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 for trying it. Um, his success will also, I think, will end up being measured by what he does now. Yeah, exactly. Well, it could be they say that nine, out, nine times out of ten, Bayern win the league. <laughs> So let's see what happens. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Who do you think has done the best business, barring City? Don't bring City into it. Outside of City, because they're going to walk the league. I can't see anyone else winning it. But who do we think has done good business this summer? 
I mean, I don't know about good business, but one, I mean, I think a team that I'm going to sort of be keeping a very close eye out on is Newcastle. I think that they, you know, like they're beginning to sort of draw in a few bigger players, you know, like they're still on this sort of journey now. Um, I think we're, they're at that sort of point where Man City were, you know, like during those Mancini years. Um, yeah, and they bought Robinho correct. and they did statement buys and what have you. Exactly. And I Who's think Newcastle bought... That what's his name? They've the the bought, Italian. They've bought an Italian midfielder for about fifty odd million. So yeah. I think that's. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the ilk of yeah. player that you're yeah, going to yeah, get yeah. at this stage. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've got a couple of you know uh, Brazilian internationals in Bruno Guimarães, who's a very good player. Yeah, yeah. he's already there, though. Uh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So those are the sort of players they're slowly adding. I don't think they're going to go for that. They're not going. No, they can't go. Yet. I don't think they can go for that yet because I'm, even if they've got the money, I don't think you can sort of draw anyone there yet. But I think they're Champions League football, isn't it? Yeah, champ- but that's what I'm saying. You know, like in their first season, they're already in Champions League mm-hmm. football. Now, let's it will be interesting to sort of see where they're where they're actually, you know, what what position they sort of find themselves in. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't gone big. Actually, I thought they'd have a, I, a I couple of big did, signings. Yeah. I, I thought they would as well. I, I thought they'd make one one or two big yeah, statement buys, but they didn't. I, I yeah. thought they'd only pick up an extreme one, yeah. like a Neymar, someone who's just you know mm-hmm. wants On, yeah, yeah, big yeah. money and will come across and and what have you, but. I think there are very few players in the world who say, I'm going to play for Eddie Howe. Yeah. There's not I, many. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, people say, I want to play for Pep. I want to play for Klopp. Mm. I don't think Eddie Howe, no, he's a good manager, yeah, yeah, but I don't think yeah. he'll draw that talent yet. Mm-hmm. And I think he's very. I think they're very aware that he he's that kind of transitioning manager. You know, yeah. like he he's that one that's going to sort of bring in a new style of play for them. You know, he's going to sort of have a, he's going to build up on that management team. And then yes, at some point, you know, like they will, they, they will move for, uh, for someone big. But I think they'll have to have a base of a, a strong team. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think I, I actually think I mean you know I, I don't know many of the players that are currently going over there, but you know like I, but they seem to sort of have some pedigree, and it will be interesting to sort of see if they can you know like sort of have a strong base. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think they've done great business in my mind. But that's yeah. That's, that's I mean, I'm, I, I'm not saying it's They'll great business. There, yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that's what I mean. I Arsenal think, made a couple of good buys. Um, yeah, Declan Rice is Declan Rice is very good. 110 million. I mean, it's a lot of money. But I think that's the I think that's the that's the nature of the game now, right? That's I mean, the English premium. You yeah, well, Kaiser, right, Kaiser, yeah. 111. Oh, exactly. I mean, huh? I, I don't know what's gone on there. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't know why I'm missing there. That's crazy, <laughs> I mean, isn't, he, isn't it? I mean, I mean, is he that level of player that last year he was sitting at Brighton and people were talking about? It, and now he's a 110 million pound player. Yeah, and bidding war. Yeah, I know. I and know. Bidding war. I think it's, it's funny. I mean, you know, I was just having a read. We still remember when Ronaldo went for was it twenty four million uh, or twenty eight million? Hey, Cristiano Ronaldo? No, uh, Brazilian, uh, Ronaldo. Brazilian Ronaldo. Um, what was it? You, you know, uh, eighteen million stats. to Inter. Twi- <laughs> about it, but when he went to Madrid, it was he was almost out of contract, so it wasn't a lot. Let's put it that way. But, but I mean, you sort of look at those sort of figures nowadays, right? <laughs> and you you buy you know like you buy an average championship player, you know, <laughs> that you're trying to sort of uh, so, so for, for that sort of in level. terms of cumulative value. Yeah. Do you know which player is the most transferred player in terms of amount of fees amount of fees yeah total transfer fees in glo- in world record I'm gonna go with well, I don't know I don't know I'll, I'll give you an Nicholas clue. Anelka no, no not Nicholas Striker Anelka. Striker yeah um, uh, what's his name uh, nationality Belgium yeah Belgium uh, what's his name <laughs> Stormzy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Romelo Lukaku. Lukaku, yeah. Yeah, Lukaku is 300 million plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to say. And yeah, he's yeah. back training he's on his own at Chelsea <laughs> now. He is. He is. 
Um, yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy to think that that. I think know, he's always been one like of those players that people think you've got all of you've got all of the attributes of a yeah. great striker, and I'll get the best out of you. And each time, well, Poch hasn't, hasn't thought yeah. that though. Poch just put him straight in the naughty corner. Yeah, he's come I mean, back and training on his own. hasn't even bothered to get have him training with the squad. Yeah, obviously he doesn't want him there, but I mean it's just yeah, it's one of those strange decisions. But yeah. I think. Um, I think of all the clubs that have done business, I think I think Arsenal's is good. They're still not going to win the league. Yeah. They're, they're, I think last year was a very good year for them to do it. They had the World Cup break in between. You had almost two shots at running it. Mm-hmm. Arsenal traditionally in December fall away. Um, I think they'll have the odd defeat here and there, and, and that will be toast for them. Um, it's just a matter it of... It all depends on how they... League, it, right? Yeah, for them, I think it all depends on how they start. Yeah. If they put a really good run together, first kind of eight games, yeah. Yeah. actually, I think they'll be buzzing, and they could, and I think they might have a shot because they'll have the experience to draw on from from yeah. last year. If they, if that first ten games, they mess it up a bit, there's a few draws, there's two, a couple two, of losses, two, and, two losses or a draw, yeah, and you're done. Your right. year is done. Yeah, exactly. I agree City, with that. City are a juggernaut when it comes to that yeah, side of things. So, I think realistically, for a lot of these clubs, Champions League, a Champions League win is really what they're aiming for. While we're in this state of one city having all the money and having the best manager in the world, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, you can't. I mean, you can't discount the idea that City have a wobble at some point. I mean, they had one last year. They've had one. You know, they always have. They always have a wobble. It's uh, it's whether anyone else can sort of maintain mm. a sort of consistent run. Um, uh, I think, realistically, I don't know. I mean, I, I almost want to hurt myself for saying this but I think United might you know you know it would be interesting to sort of see how United actually turn up this season whether they can actually string something together whether they can actually be cohesive um I think that's all the, I I think for a large part they they, they were they weren't very cohesive last year but they still got themselves up there um but there or thereabouts I think the best bit of business they've done without making him a clown but Harry Maguire going out <laughs> the door is is important for them because yeah yeah it, because he doesn't it doesn't it doesn't cause a I think he's not a he's not, he's a, not a problem in the background. Not a walking meme yeah, right which yeah. is what he is unfortunately yeah. at a club like United but then you've bought what Mason Mount um well we don't know whether he's going uh, yeah sorry Mason Mount yeah yeah um, I've, I mean, I, I personally, I think a lot of the clubs, barring Arsenal, have gone backwards. I think Liverpool have gone backwards. Mm. They're having to rebuild completely, almost. Yeah. It's like your midfield, you have to you, you build. And they back. sold without replacing, which is this, which is also the strange bit. I mean, I know they were on, you know, on downward trajectories anyway, yeah. but they, yeah. you know, people like Henderson have gone, and they haven't actually, you know, McAllister in, and um, yeah, uh, then they bought, yeah. But they still need another couple of midfielders, don't they? Yeah, I think they do. That's think why they, they were, do. to be fair, that's why they were going so big on. I see though. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think, Klopp? Do you think he's? You think? Do you think he'll stay it out? This is a really interesting season for them, isn't it? Yeah. I think if he, uh, I think he's got a built-in excuse. It's a transition year. My whole midfield's changed. I'm rebuilding the squad. I'm rebranding, etc. Mo Salah, I think, will go in a year. But do you think? He'll, but do you think he'll get to the point where he starts, where he just physically doesn't want to do it anymore? No, I, I think he'll stick around because what other jobs are going right in terms of. I don't see him as a PSG type manager. Um, no, UK... he likes to create a legacy. He likes to create a style of. I mean, yeah, he does. Look, know. he did at Dortmund, but then he jumped. He got sacked at Dortmund, right? People do forget that. Mm. Um, he's come to Liverpool. He's won a league. I mean, there's no doubt he's a brilliant manager. There's there's no doubt about it. But you're going up against City, who are just an absolute juggernaut. I don't think. 
I don't yeah. think you, you you can really. I mean, they did well in my eyes to stay with them for a number of years, and they did. Mm. But I think now they've come to that point where it's just going to be a massive rebuild now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. I think I think if you look outside the city, I think you just you, you look at the, some of the smaller clubs and just see who's done enough really to survive. Yeah, because. You know? You got a lot of clubs who come in now. Your Luton's, Sheffield United, you know, new clubs. You just don't know what what they're going to be like. But Brighton was, you know, were amazing last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they've really established their position. It'll be interesting to see how those clubs kind of go this year. And uh, you know, if Everton stay up, I mean, after last year, who knows? No transfer yeah. activity. Absolutely. Um, you have to spend money to stay in this league, and it doesn't matter if you've got you know a hundred million stadium just around the corner. You yeah, have yeah. to. You, you still have, have players now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about Southampton's 1-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday last week. Good luck. No? <laughs> okay. Deli Alley back, <laughs> back in your squad, though. <laughs> yeah, I think... I mean, it was an interesting... I mean, it's sad to hear mm. what he came out and said about being abused as a child and some of the mental pressures. And I think that does need to be highlighted, perhaps. I mean, you can cry into your £200,000 a week, <laughs> uh, you know... Um, wage packet but i mean you know yeah i mean i think look it's a a fair it's look it's a fair thing i mean if he's sort of struggling with um you know mental health yeah sure voice that you know or abuse i mean there's no there's no um look but has he you know has he unfortunately just sort of let his career slip into sort of oblivion it yeah he has you know like it's it's just been a real shame that he he never really saw it through he um, I think he almost felt like he kind of gave up at some point in his career, mm. um, and it's and it's it's been a shame because I think there was a point, um, there was a point when he looked like uh, maybe not one of the greats, but you know he 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 looked like he could sort of at least sort of hold his own. He would have been a, you know like a sort of decent yeah, decent totally. playing uh, sort of you know in that in that Tottenham team as well. Maybe, you know maybe could could have created something. You had Son, Ericsson, yeah, him. Maybe got tired of carrying Harry Kane. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> but where Son hasn't. <laughs> I think what's interesting for him is obviously, um, you know, obviously he's paid a lot of money. He has a you know very glamorous job, and I think people forget. You know, obviously his background has clearly been so yeah. tough, mm. and that, you know, when you carry that with you. Yeah, you know, probably only take small margins at the very top level yeah, to kind of throw break. you off yeah. your concentration, motivation. Mm. You know, if you're not motivated at that level of football to put the effort in, to put the hard yards in, if you're if there's something that's not quite right with you mentally and that stops you from being able to switch on properly, I can imagine it being quite a relentless tough job to do yes and no because i think i think so much goes into football nowadays you've got your sports scientists your mental health you have mm. a big element of that and if you've got an asset like that you know like tottenham had for a number of years yeah who's an england international who's come up the ranks so well he's young got many years ahead of him yeah you protect that asset now for us as a club everton we're saddled effectively with a player who's probably not going to play that much if he does and he gets any criticism doesn't perform there may be a little bit of leeway from the press and you know oh he's gone through troubles it's not going to be long oh it's don't sorry don't long. get no it's oh, not no. great for us oh no, no don't get me wrong it's not yeah not i think it's just interesting in terms of someone who clearly has the ability mm. and has shown over you know what was it two three three maybe three years yeah three years that he was had the ability to compete at the very highest level yeah and then how it doesn't take much for that yeah. level to come Sure. Sh- like tumbling down mm-hmm. like not just you know oh, I'm off it half a percent 
and then yeah. your performances are off half a percent. It's like you're yeah. almost, you know, you're off it because something's going on per- in your personal life and your level just drops to the level where, you know, um, get, uh, where was he at? Galatasaray. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So Galatasaray yeah. don't even want you in the squad. Yeah. And, you know, that is a... And then if you don't have the people around you, it's very difficult to, you know, because you've got the money and mm. the fame and the rest of it, you don't have that solid you know kind of community or family or whatever it is around you to keep you kind of because yeah. because of the other problems he's had mm. it's a bit it's, it it becomes an issue and then you know Seth said it almost felt like he was giving up and so to some extent actually I you know I agree with Seth and the interview that he gave was almost he didn't need to give that if he'd given up mm. he could have just he could True. have just, he could have just stayed quiet and kind of gone off into the wilderness. Yeah. And no one would remember him yeah, and talk yeah, yeah. about him, and that would have been it. And this was quite a public statement mm. and marker, and it was almost like he doesn't want to actually give up. He is willing to put one more kind of roll of the dice, because that's all it was, I, right? It was I, one yeah. more, hey, I'm here, this is my story, mm. Get, I want one more chance. Yeah. And so it'll be I, interesting to see how I, that I'd goes. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see the story, mm. you know, Phoenix from the Flames, he comes back, you know, brilliant player for us or whoever. You yeah, know, whoever, from a yeah. Human, but great to see a player just re reinvigorate his, himself and you know, you know, maybe hit the heights that he potentially mm. could have done. I'm not again, like you said, not going to be world class. Yeah, yeah, a, a yeah, yeah. Solid, just a good player, top yeah, yeah. tier professional. Yeah, yeah exactly. Can, can very much be that. You know, players like Frank Lampard and these guys. He's a midfielder who scored a lot of goals, mm. and he was the reason that Everton bought. You know, yeah, yeah, Frank yeah. Lampard. I'll, I'll take him on a morning. I can get it out of him. Mm. And obviously, that hasn't happened. But um, but yeah, no, like, it'll be interesting to see if. If that does kick off, but I mean, you know, I think yeah, it's going to be a tough year for for a lot of those clubs who d- don't have money, and Everton are, are one of those clubs mm. who have wasted money for many years, and now you're left out a tough tough scenario. But Southampton, you talked about same thing, yeah. kept having good players, kept selling them on. Eventually, oh, yeah, you're going to buy dross, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that dross yeah, is not yeah. going to get you. Well, I think I mean there was a number of reasons, right? You know, you get rid of your academy, you get rid of things, which is actually you know like. Whether they were whether they were great players, but probably weren't. You know, like your Walcotts and your, um, mm. uh, you know, Lalanas and things like that. But they they made for a nice, solid team, right? Yeah. You know, like you, you sort of had players that had different attributes where you could think. So you get rid of your academy, number one, because the the cost of sort of keeping it was getting too high. Um, it was a good little earner, um, uh, you know, for for uh, for the team. So we got rid of it. Then, of course, then you 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 start having to play the transfer game, and that's actually, that's an incredibly difficult thing yeah. to do. Yeah, right. To carry it's on to carry on, yeah. and year after year, you're either creating yeah. or you're sort of finding some championship player or some player that plays for Ren, you know, like in the French league that yeah. sort of is half half decent. You know, it's it's a, it's a hard thing to sort of be able to sort of uh, do that consistently. Mm. And then, yeah, before you know it, you just run out of steam, I think, you know, and you're having to sell all of your good players just to keep yourselves up and around. Mm. Um, yeah, and you, you, you can see this. You can see this sort of happening with a lot of teams. Like, for example, like Burnley now. I mean, it'd be very interesting to sort of see how they actually yeah. performed. They had such a great season in the championship last year. Mm. was sort of head and shoulders above everyone to such a degree. Um, and now coming in, I mean, they're coming in with a lot of... Um, with a lot of fanfare, with a lot of belief that you know, like they 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 should be able to hold them, hold their own and keep themselves up, will be interesting to see if they actually can do it because that slippery slope, you know, like the minute you sort of turn that corner and things start going against yeah. you, it's it's incredibly difficult football at this level, you know, mm. it's uh, you, you can slip out of it incredibly quickly. Um, and it just shows you like how much momentum sort of uh, uh, makes sense. 
two minutes to go before we log off. Uh, top four predictions. Um, Just give me the other three. <laughs> I presume we're all saying Man City, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go uh, 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 Liverpool, Arsenal, United. So the top. No Newcastle? No. No Newcastle? Yeah, had they a good season last wow. year. Wow. Wow. No, I, will, I will go Newcastle. I'll say Newcastle, I think United. Um, in that order? No, no, no. Not in that order. All oh, right. I think okay. if we're going for top four, City... I, I think Liverpool won't get there. I think it will be again. It will be Arsenal, United, and um, Newcastle. I think it will be the same as last year, but just in a different order. Yeah, I think Arsenal, United. Uh, sorry, Arsenal and Newcastle. Uh, fourth place. I don't know. Bit of an outside shot. Maybe Chelsea. I, yeah. I think well, Poch, actually, yeah, Poch might yeah, get yeah. them playing. Yeah, you yeah, never. That's know. actually true. Think yeah. he's a good yeah, manager. Yeah, yeah. It uh, makes an interesting league. It will yeah. make for a very interesting league um, yeah. this season. Well, we'll see what it brings and the return of fantasy football, which is always fun. <laughs> um, thank you for all of our listeners for joining us today. Uh, we've discussed, obviously, the ULES topic. We've had our news roundup and we've discussed the Premiership. So uh, do join us over the coming weeks and next week. Uh, we'll be touching on more current affairs and further topics. Thank you for listening and we wish all of our listeners um, may peace and Allah's blessings be upon you. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>